It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show and happy Thanksgiving weekend to everybody. This is Charlie Potter, your host on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America 720 WGN on the Great Outdoors Show. And hope you are still enjoying your turkey or settling in for a week in the coming week in the outdoors. I know a lot of people have to get back at it, but also there are a lot of individuals who will take this time to, uh, to spend it uh, in the outdoors and Certainly deer season is underway. All the seasons are underway across, across really the whole country. Just about everything is, is open everywhere. Um, I'm going to take this morning's show the opportunity to talk about something we should be thankful for. Actually, I'm going to focus on three things we should be thankful for in conservation. And I hope that you find them as interesting as, as I have through the past number of years in learning about them. And they really are the restoration of three species, bird species, that were basically believed to be extinct or on their way to extinction. The giant Canada goose, the trumpeter swan, and the whooping crane. So what I'd like to do for a bit here this morning is talk about how these three iconic species came back from the brink of extinction. And and it, it makes me realize that while we, are, we, while we certainly complain about a lot of things in the outdoors, on this Thanksgiving weekend, we have a great deal to be thankful for. The giant Canada goose was believed to be extinct in certain parts of the country, and uh, its numbers were in the 1940s, um, well, they were very hard to find. They were not extinct as a species, but they were so hard to find that most of the continent did not have any. In the early 1950s, at a place called East Meadows outside of Winnipeg up on Lake Manitoba, a couple of researchers for the Delta Waterfowl Research Center, as it was known at the time, the forerunner to today's waterfowl, Delta Waterfowl Foundation, uh, were capturing Canada geese and banding them. Al Hochbaum and Peter Ward, Al Hochbaum being the absolutely famous waterfowl biologist and painter who ran the Delta Station for many years. And Peter Ward also ran the Delta Station after Al Hochbaum. They were banding birds, and they ended up banding and capturing in the net some giant Canada geese, which were believed to be extinct in the province of Manitoba. This was big news. They, instead of banding and releasing the Canada geese, they took the Canada geese back, the giant Canada geese, back to the Delta Waterfowl Research Station and put them in an enclosed facility and clipped their wings and were going to be pioneers in reintroducing giant Canada geese to the world. They didn't even know how it would go, though. They just knew these Canada geese that they captured had to lay eggs and bring about goslings, which they did. And the goslings were raised at, at Delta, and their wings were clipped, 
And after a couple of years, the flock at the Delta station of giant Canada Greek geese had grown. And so they took the young, keeping the original adults, they took the young that had not had their wings clipped, and they took them over to East Meadows again, where these two giant Canada geese, or four giant Canada geese, I guess, had been found and captured. And they released them, and they let the, the goslings for the year, summer, grow. And then they had absolutely no idea what would happen. But as wild Canada geese migrated into the area from the Arctic, this was before we had such a thing as resident Canada geese, as mild Canada, wild Canada geese moved in from the Arctic, the giant Canada geese met up with the wild Canada geese. And when it was time to leave East Meadows, outside of Winnipeg, when winter, when winter came, they took off. And these geese had leg bands. And they flew to Rochester, New York. Excuse me. Excuse me. Not Rochester, New York. I apologize. They flew to Rochester, Minnesota. From the Delta, from, from just outside of Winnipeg, they went straight south to Rochester, Minnesota. And they wintered there. And the next spring, the geese came back to East Meadows, where they had been released, and they began to reproduce. Meanwhile, Delta was continuing to augment the population. The next year, more geese flew to Rochester. More geese came back the following year. More geese flew to Rochester. And I think you know where the story is going. The giant Canada goose, which was on the verge of complete extinction, was brought back to basically to life. And then suddenly, in a period of a relatively short period of time, their population began to explode. And these giant Canada geese began to nest all over the interlake country of Manitoba and then fly south to Rochester each winter. And over a period of time, several decades, suddenly the giant Canada geese didn't migrate at all. And they began to stay in places like Rochester, Minnesota. And today, the giant Canada goose population that we see all over the mid part of the continent is the result of this initial effort in finding a few giant Canada geese that we believe to be extinct. So some people might say, I'm not thankful for that at all. The geese are all over our lawns. Look what's happened. It's what, a, what, a, what a disaster. I, I, would, I would say not at all. What a, what a magic thing to have occurred. Had those Delta II scientists, Peter Ward and Al Hochbaum, not accidentally caught these giant Canada geese when they were doing a summer banding program, giant Canada geese might well be extinct. Instead, they've thrived, and now our problem is how to manage them because there are too many. What a great success story in many ways. In fact, I think in almost all ways, the remaining success is how do we manage a population that continues to grow. That's the story of the giant Canada goose and how it came back from, from near extinction. The next story I want to talk about for a moment is the trumpeter swan, which is, in a way, it's even more incredible. Trumpeter swan was extremely numerous. But due to the advent of market hunting and the, and the desire for their feathers, for, for women's hats and things in the, 18th, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they were basically uh, hunted to near extinction, as so many birds were. 
this is not this was not sport hunting. This was the commercial harvest, which was totally outlawed in 1917. And so the trumpeter swan, and I can't the most iconic of the swan species, was in serious trouble, and had been for many years. And yet they found ways to reintroduce the trumpeter swans around the country from the remaining flocks uh, that existed. And in the late 1980s, early 1990s, the Utah Department of Fish and Wildlife, Department of Natural Resources, along with other states, decided it was time to bring the trumpeter swan back to the western part of the United States in abundance. And so they captured juvenile trumpeter swans and some adults from uh, their breeding grounds, and they brought them to the Great Salt Lake, which had been one of the most incredible staging areas for trumpeter swans in 100 years before. They brought them back to the Great Salt Lake, where there was a large hundred swan population, and they painted them pink. Yes, you heard that correctly. They painted these birds pink. And I will tell the rest of the story when I come back from the break. It makes you laugh in some cases, and, and at the end of it, it'll make you nothing but smile. I hope you're enjoying this Thanksgiving weekend show and the Great Outdoors show. I'm not going to talk about any heavy issues this week. It's time to just be thankful and to enjoy the outdoors. This is Charlie Potter and the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. When sunrise is your alarm clock, life is different. You eat a ditch for breakfast. Love the smell of diesel in the morning with a hot cup of joe. The weather report is 40% chance of mud. And corporate pull, that's 36,000 pounds of towing capacity with a gooseneck trailer. Mudden is PTO. You know sometimes when the paved road ends, the fun begins. Chevy Silverado 3500 HD is waiting to run over something, anything. No road, no problem, because the best way out is always through. A trouble rides a swift horse, and you don't want trouble pulling a backhoe loader. Chevy Silverado HD is a wake-up call. Now, during Chevy truck season, get a $1,000 accessory allowance toward the purchase of a new truck with accessories. You worked hard for your money. Spend it smart. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer today or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for all the details. Chevy Silverado HD. Power up and experience life in HD. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter here on WGN Radio. And before I took the break, I said I'd come back and complete the story about the recovery of trumpeter swans which is every bit as magical as the recovery of Canada geese, although not as intentional. So uh, the Canada geese, uh, excuse me, as unintentional, the Canada goose, giant Canada goose story um, was really one of accident and now success. The trumpeter swan was planned. So they brought these trumpeter swans to the Bear River Wildlife Refuge, at the north end of the Great Salt Lake in an effort to reintroduce trumpeter swans throughout a large part of the Pacific Flyway, this being 35 years ago, not that long ago. They painted the swans pink, all of them. All the trumpeter swans were painted pink. And they did this because there were so many tundra swans in the area, and there had been a long-standing, excuse me, yes, there were so many tundra swans in the area, and there had been a long-standing tundra swan season. So by painting the trumpeter swans pink, 
everyone would know they were trumpeters. There were a few birds the first year. They painted them pink, and the stories show that the first night that the uh, ice, the water froze on the on the Bear River National Wildlife Refuge, the trumpeter swans that were painted pink froze to the ice. Their feet froze to the ice. They had never seen ice. They didn't know what to do, and they froze to the ice. As the day thawed out, the trumpeter swans' feet were able to move, and they walked around, and the next night, it froze again, and their feet froze to the ice again, and there was some mortality. Eventually, they figured out, the trumpeter swans, all painted pink, figured out how to move their feet at night so they didn't stick to the ice. And then the day came when the mass migration of tundra swans left the Great Salt Lake region, and with them went these pink, bright pink Trumpeter swans, and they flew on into California, and of course, they were easy to identify. From that beginning, those trumpeter swans then went north with the tundra swans that summer. They went back up into the north, up into the boreal forest, and they nested. And then their offspring flew south with the somewhat still pink tundra swans, and they came back to the Bear River National Wildlife Refuge following the following the tundra swans, so you had the trumpeter swans reintroduced in with the tundra swans, and they picked up the migratory habits of the tundra swans, and from this, the population of trumpeter swans throughout the western part of the United States has once again now exploded, the same as the Canada geese, only not to the extent in numbers. And recently I had the opportunity of being at the Bear River National Wildlife Refuge and seeing this incredible sight of trumpeter swans, not 10 of them, not 50, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trumpeter swans now exist in the flyway. Well, thousands do, but there were hundreds there that day. And I sat on a levee watching this, and tundra swans are completely unafraid of humans, we had put out some, some tundra swan decoys and trumpeter swan decoys to uh, attract the trumpeter swans. And they flew within five, six yards of us, landed on the water. They flew overhead at 10, 15 yards or closer in the air, making this incredible trumpeting noise. And it, it was so special. And it makes me realize that we've done a lot of things in conservation, but the success of reintroducing species that are on the verge of extinction has to be truly one of the one of the great things that we've done. And the trumpeter swan, when it trumpets, you know why it's called a trumpeter swan. And when you watch it fly in family groups with the cygnets, which are the young swans, flying with their with their parents in family groups in small flocks. And when you watch them now, now they basically don't mingle that much with the tundra swans, which taught them how to migrate and showed them the flyway route of the Pacific flyway. They're on their own. And to see them play in the wind and on the water and fly close overhead makes it all worthwhile. And, and I would say that if you ever have the chance to go to the Bear River National Wildlife Refuge or other place where trumpeter swans stage in great numbers. It's it's something every birder should do. And if you're not really into that birding, 
And infant birding is something you should do. It's truly a fantastic experience. The last species, and I'm going to run out of time because I guess I didn't plan this very well today, is the whooping crane. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Dr. George Archibald next week and what he did to bring the whooping crane back from extinction. It's an incredible story in the International Crane Foundation. George is not only a good friend of mine, but an individual who has truly changed the world for cranes. But what he did with whooping cranes will astound you. I'll be back next week with much more in the great outdoors. I hope you've enjoyed the show. This week in the outdoors, basically, as I said at the top of the show, it's, it's sort of game on. It's the last vestiges of the migration, depending on where you are. It's the heat of the rut, uh, depending on where you are. Everything in nature is, is in a hurried roll getting ready for winter, which has already shown a sign of, of coming. I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Be back next Sunday morning with much more on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. This is Charlie Potter.